In today's show, we have Chris Anderson. He is the host and executive producer at Science Around Cincy. I met Chris through a mutual friend, and we're going to talk about new ideas in science education. If you're ready to learn how technology is driving business innovation in Cincinnati and beyond, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Join us for interviews and discussions with business leaders, innovators, and visionaries. With our host, Sam Schutte, CEO of Unstoppable Software. This is Unstoppable Talk. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. So maybe a good place to get started is tell us how you got interested in science and and, uh, and how did you get into that as a career? Since the, I think the day I could walk, I was interested in science. I wanted to be like four different scientists <laughs> at the same time. I, I barely knew what the what the what they did, but I just loved everything about learning about science. We would, um, you know, Tuesday was Library Day. We'd mm-hmm. go to Library Tuesday, and you could get any book you wanted, and I would just come home with just books on books on books of science, and I just loved it from I just loved it from the very start. And in high school, I started doing a little tutoring on the side to make a little extra cash, you know, some gas money, and I found out I also like getting other people excited about science. And that kind of got me got me on that path of, of, of a science educator. Did you, did you go to high school here in Cincinnati? Or? No, I grew up uh, in a little town called Elyria. Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like in Tommy Boy, that town there. Okay. Yeah, yeah Sandusky, actually. Sandusky's mm-hmm. not too far from, from where my folks live. So uh, it's about 20, 30 minutes west of Cleveland. And uh, I, I came down here when I first got my teaching job. Okay. And what, and what was that teaching job that you got? So I got hired at Princeton High School. Spent the first five years of my career there. I taught freshmen uh, and I taught sophomores. I taught freshmen physical science and sophomore biology. Okay. And you went to Miami, is that right? I did. Correct. Okay. And what was your, what did you do there at Miami? I, I studied uh, adolescent science education. I think you said you were on you were some sort of a scholar there at Miami. Right? I was a, sc- a scholar of sorts, a gentleman and a scholar. Yes, <laughs> I was. I was an Evans scholar, and if if uh, for those listeners who aren't familiar with that, it's a uh, scholarship for golf caddies <laughs> of all of all things, and uh, golf caddies specifically who have uh, you know good grades, good re- good uh, good community service, and whose families have uh, some financial financial needs. So. You know, my folks didn't have a lot of money. Uh, my dad drove a milk truck around, so you're looking at the milkman's son. <laughs> and my mom was a uh, she's a secretary at the hospital, so you know they 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 did their darndest to to save. But college is, as we all know, is cost a pretty penny. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there are those scholarships out there you can find if you if you you know very niche things yes. that you can get sometimes. Yes, and it was a very, it was a niche scholarship, but it. It, I wouldn't have gone away to school if it wasn't for that. So I'm I'm very very thankful for that opportunity because yeah that completely changed my life. And, and so what about working um, in in that science teaching position there? Uh, were there aspects of that that made you think that you needed to do something more innovative around science education? Yes, yes and no. So I went into teaching. I think I always knew like this was going to be something that I did for a while and then I would get skills and then I would move on to another thing. I didn't always know what that other thing was, but I knew that there was going to be something other than classroom teaching that I I wanted to do. So the the series Science Around Sensi to me is just another way for me to get kids and people excited about learning science. It's just another 
another thing through that path. It's another tool I'm, I, I've been doing. I was a teacher, a classroom teacher for a while, really enjoyed that. Now I'm doing this and I'm really enjoying that too. And so tell us about that series and what, where is that at? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can you can check it out. We have a YouTube channel and on our website, Sci Around Cincy or Science Around Cincy. It's, uh, it'll, it'll get you to the same place. And what we wanted to do was feature local scientists and, and what they're doing and their research and their work. So each episode is about eight, nine minutes long. We do uh, a lot of cool stuff with a lot of cool people. They, they take us to their, their field sites. They show us their experimental setup. Um, really, really interesting stuff that, they've been, that we've been able to feature this, this first go around. And so is there, are there other, uh, you know, is that something that you kind of saw that need out there that because there's not a lot of uh, sort of features on the research we're doing here locally? And You know, what, what first, got, I think, got my wheels turning, when I was a classroom teacher, I would show this mini-series. It was like a series of short videos from PBS Nova, and it was called The Secret Life of Scientists. And it was really cool because we could show what got scientists interested in their field and then, like, their other weird... Uh, you know, hobbies. So like it's one mechanical engineer would talk about his work and then he'd like, he'd talk about his parkour <laughs> uh, hobby or there, there'd be another scientist that talk about their, their work in chemistry. And then she was like a amateur wrestler. <laughs> so it, it kind of humanized science for, for scientists for the kids. Cause I think sometimes in their minds, they just think of very old, very crusty people who, you know, very, wear tweet a lot and write things down in books. And that's really not what scientists are. They're in the field. They're, they're collecting data. So I wanted to do something that was more localized to Cincinnati because we have a lot of really great, brilliant scientists like right down the street. And, that's, and I think that's really cool. And I, I, we wanted to raise the awareness for their work. Let's take a quick break. This podcast is sponsored by Unstoppable Software, a Cincinnati-based technology consulting firm. At Unstoppable Software, we bolt on to your company's team and accelerate their ability to deliver custom software development projects. With our deep experience in manufacturing, engineering, and healthcare, we can tailor systems for process improvement, data analytics, machine learning, and document workflow. So they become a user-friendly, perfect fit for your employees and the way they want to work. To learn more about how we make our clients unstoppable, visit us at unstoppablesoftware.com or call us at 513-382-8499. And now, back to Unstoppable Talk. So the first season, I guess, is uh, in progress right now. Is that right? And yes. So we've we've released the first two episodes of of eight. We will release another one this week and another one next week, and we will we'll finish. We'll probably finish releasing them by the end of November. Okay. And so, what what was kind of your process? How did you go about getting that off the ground? Once you had the idea, how how long did you work on it? How long did it take to get started? Very carefully, like all <laughs> like all projects like this are. I'd say I had been tinkering around this idea for a good year to year and a half. And when it really got off the ground was when I met John Gibson from NKU. He is a professor and lecturer there of uh, electronic media and broadcasting. 
and he's got a lot of experience in directing, producing, um, even feature films. So John and I just kind of hit it off. We, you know, you n- never underestimate the power of networking. You just end up running into people who you who can help you out in unexpected ways. And I had been thinking about this idea of doing a local a local based science show for a while, and just bouncing ideas off of him was just so so helpful. So uh, earlier this this year, we applied for some funding, and we from Fuel Cincinnati, we we got that funding, and so we were able to pay for pay for the production cost for for this this first run of, of eight episodes. And tell us about Fuel Cincinnati, what what that is. Fuel Cincinnati, it's a it's a branch of Give Back Cincinnati, and they're they're actually supported by the Hale Foundation, and it's a philanthropy committee ba- uh, made up of young professionals, and so they review projects, small small project grants that they that they then award. So it gives young professionals an opportunity to be on a philanthropy committee and and review you know proposals and 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 get experience in, in giving out um, giving out awards like that. Okay, so so NKU and Fuel Cincinnati, those are two main partners, I think you said. Correct. Um, and then uh, you said you've done two shows so far that are out there. What what have those been about? So the first one, we talked to uh, Dr. Clara Duamaral, and she is a frog cryobiologist. Yeah, <laughs> it's as cool as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so frogs have this awesome adaptation where they freeze through the winter. That's how they survive. And... It's exactly what it sounds like. They just find a, they like snuggle into some mud and they're, they turn into a block of ice. Like they're, they're frog sickles. And in the spring, when the winter warms, it, they thaw and just hop away. And so she researches how they're able to do this. And how they're able to do this is that they have these proteins that essentially act like antifreeze and they keep ice crystals from forming t- uh, too large and damaging the cells. So that's how these frogs are able to do this. And so that's what she does. So it was really cool to go to her lab and hold a frozen frog. And it was, yeah, flatline, like no brain activity. And she could thaw it in a few days and it'd be just just dandy. So so how do they, do they know how they get into that sort of suspended animation? Like, I mean, if they've got no brain activity, I guess no pulse. Mm-hmm. No pulse, nothing. So what kind of, uh, how do they... How do the cells not die then? I mean, they're not, yeah. sounds like they're not bursting because of ice. Right. So that's, yeah. So like if you think about your, like if you put a tomato in the refrigerator, it gets kind of mealy afterwards. And that's the, because those tomatoes are mostly water and the, that as, the, as it cools, it damages the, the cells. So that's really the biggest damage. Same thing with frostbite, right? Is that the, the ice in, uh, the, the water in your cells turns to ice and that damages your cells. But the frogs are able to kind of mitigate that, and that's what keeps them alive. So she looks at genetic components. She looks at the chemistry of their blood. And we got, even got to go frogging with her. So we got to go out to uh, some wetlands in, in Kentucky and look for frogs. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Makes her, great, makes her great television, that's for sure. And she's at NKU, is that right? She is at Mount St. Joseph University. Yeah. Cool. And what was the second show about? We went to the Cincinnati Zoo and... As I'm sure your listeners know, the zoo does a lot of really great things. But what they might not know is that they have a whole lab just for endangered species conservation. It's called the Crew Crew Lab. Yep. And they what they do is they use research to help protect some of these some of these species. So they have a they have a cryobank there, and that has frozen uh, reproductive specimens. 
So kind of like kind of like in Jurassic Park, you know, when they got, they open the the thing and same same deal. And almost it really kind of looks like in Jurassic Park they lift it up <laughs> and they got all the stuff hanging down in in liquid nitrogen. And uh, what they do is that that protects the genetic diversity of a species. So they are, they actually were able to artificially inseminate a female rhinoceros with the semen from a rhinoceros that had passed away like five years ago, which is really good because these these shrinking populations have less and less genetic diversity. And that makes them susceptible to things like diseases or inbreeding and things like that. So keeping that gene pool varied is really, really important for their survival. Well, it's interesting because I, I just read an article the other day about how uh, this isn't a small population, but if you look at um, dairy cattle, yes. which there's millions and millions sure. of, but they all come from three bulls that ancestrally there were like these three ultra bred yep. bulls right and so of course they're bred just to produce milk and that's it but then they're like you know they have all these other issues or mm-hmm. they're weak or whatever so it seems like that could be an issue not just an endangered yeah. species too oh it's it's an issue with bananas yeah oh, yeah yeah, yeah. They, they, they're all like clones a, right yeah they're all clones yeah. so they're all susceptible like the same virus which is it's not good well, we do have some amazing resources in Cincinnati for science and particularly, you know, animal biology and stuff with the zoo and, and of course, you know, Museum Center, I believe, has some animals as well. How have you kind of gone about, you know, when you want to get in touch with these people, when you, you know, how do you just call them up and say, hey, we want to do a show on you or how, how have people yeah. responded to yeah, that? Yeah, basically. <laughs> You know, yeah, you'd be surprised what you get away with if you ask nicely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and and you know, to be fair to the scientists, we're 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 helping them get their work out, and so any scientist is always wanting to share what their their work, um, you know, with the public. So, um, you know, part of it was network. You know, folks I've I've interviewed or, or talked to around around town. Part of it is just yeah, just good old fashioned cold calling and just hey, we're interested in your work. I'd like to talk to you more about it if maybe we could we could potentially feature you. And so how long does it take to produce a new show? And, you know, you said they're uh, about 10 minutes long, I think you said. Yeah, they're about nine, about nine, 10 minutes long. It probably takes total around, I would say probably 50 total man hours. But that's including our team, what they, they come in for production. So I, it takes me a couple hours to kind of get everything organized, the logistics, and then we we don't write a script. We kind of have an outline of talking points and the scenes that we're going to do. So we know the things that we want to we want to discuss and the, and the points we want to get across, but you can't script something like that. You want it to feel organic. So, uh, you know, the filming where, you know, is usually a couple hours and then as probably known <laughs> producing your own podcast the it's the post that that gets you it's the it's the post production that takes takes a long time but we've i guess the the students who have been working the nku students who've been working on this project are just awesome we got a, we really do have a great team that they've been total pros the whole time and their work has just been excellent so i couldn't be happier with the with the people that we've been working with both the scientists and on the production side so are those uh, are those volunteers on the student side that, that you're helping? They're helping you with? Or? No, we we pay them. Uh, it's a uh, so NKU has a production arm called Norse Media. It's it's run by stu- the students, and so the students do the do the do the work. They they it kind of they don't necessarily pick the projects, but they um, you know they work on specific things that that Norse Media is asked to do. So we we partnered with with them. 
That's pretty cool. It just gives them, you know, that's a great opportunity for them to get some real world experience editing, a, you know, a show and that's actually going to be out and watched by people. It is watched by uh, people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's cool. Rather than just them kind of working on their own, you know, ideas or whatever mm-hmm. stuff. And who who are some of your team members when you talk about the production crew and, mm-hmm. and all that? Are these just folks you knew or how do you kind of build that up? No, it's the 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 NKU students. So Michael Picard has been all, one of one of the folks who have been on on production. He was, I think, at every single shoot we we did over the summer, which is which is, you know, a Herculean task. He was he was there and then he's done uh, the a good chunk of the editing as well. And then Jordan Barger, they has been there almost every single shoot as well. And Jordan's also done the the directing. And that's been really great, too. And we've had a couple other students work kind of in concert to them. Aria Bryce and uh, Carrie Stevens have also filled in here and there. And then they've both been excellent. And then, uh, you know, so, I mean, I know you said this is on YouTube. Uh, how are you sort of getting getting in front of kids and you know to watch outside of it just being out there i mean are you trying to you know get schools to promote this for you as well and show it in their classrooms or what's kind of your plan for yeah so you know cincinnati is a pretty big small town so uh i had we've got a good network of educators that we can reach out to and, and help share this with teachers the feedback's been from teachers who have showed it to their kids have been very has been very positive working in my day job working with the hamilton county esc i work with cincinnati public schools I can then work with the teachers there and kind of share share that resource with them, and 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 they've been really really supportive as well. So um, it's it's really just been about reaching out to the right folks within the the school districts. Who's this? Hey, this is a resource. Feel free to share, you know, with your kids and with the other teachers, things like that. Okay, cool. And and so what what are some topics coming up in these next uh, several episodes and stuff that you're excited about? So this week. We're gonna we're gonna release an episode with uh, Brooke Crowley. She's a geochemist at UC, and her work is really really cool because she looks at like bone fragments from lemurs, and she does isotope analysis. So what she does is she looks at the different ratios of carbon and nitrogen isotopes, and she can use that to recreate ecosystems. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> And you thought you'd never hear the word isotope again. <laughs> and now you have. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I wouldn't have suspected that lemur bones were a source for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, they were, you know, that was the one of the main mammals on, on Madagascar. But the, the environment there has gone through so much change in the last 10,000 years. So what they're trying to do is use her research for better conservation efforts. So a lot of the animals that are there now... Some of their behaviors might not be really what was um, was part of their evolutionary uh, behavior in the past. So what they're trying to do is use her work to recreate different uh, habitat preservations for, for, for animals, which is really, really neat. Interesting. What do you think when you're producing these episodes and working on kind of all this, what's key to, to making a... Uh, you know, good science content for kids. Sure. You know, what, are there some uh, approaches or, or sort of, uh, I don't know, ideas you have that <laughs> that um, you try to keep it kid-friendly or, or what, you know, what are your philosophies for that, I guess? So one thing I think we have to remember, not just as, as, as teachers, but I think just as adults, is that kids aren't idiots. 
and and I don't think we t- we should talk down to them. They're they might not know as much as we do. They might not have developed as much as as we do in in certain aspects of their brains or maturity. But they're not idiots, and I don't think you talk down to them as if they are. The other thing is, is that it, like learning about the world is fun, and you don't have to embellish anything. You know, you can you can present something as cool as a frog being frozen, and that's already awesome enough. So you don't need to, you know, and you know, go crazy over the top. Like you can make that interesting. And if I think if if kids can see your interest and your enthusiasm for something, then they're going to get interested too. Because there's so much about the world around us that is just freaking fascinating. And, you know, we, we, we couldn't even dream it up in our imaginations how awesome it is. And I think that is, that's the thing that you want to, you want to give to kids is that you want to make something, you know, entertaining, but not, not distracting. You know, you want to make it interesting, but not dry. So, you know, I think everyone always thinks of, especially probably people of our age, they always think of Bill Nye. And I think what, what Bill Nye's show was so brilliant at was that segments were like 30 to 90 seconds long. It, it never felt slow. It, it never felt like, man, this is dragging on and on and on. And he's talking about play tectonics. Like, I don't care. I want to go outside and play. So, but he made things very, very short. So he'd explain something, like explain a definition, and then boom, they took cut to a scientist and what they do. And go, boom, Bill's outside and doing, you know, showing this other other part of the concept. And then they'd show a student who is working on like like doing an experiment. So it was very, very short you know, clips, the, the cadence was very, really quick. And I think that that keeps kids' interest levels high. Yeah, it's funny. I was going to ask you about Bill Nye because when, when I was introduced to you initially, uh, I was told you were like the Bill, Bill Nye of Cincinnati. That is. Right. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can, I, I don't know if I'm up to that venerable status yet. <laughs> but obviously you took a lot of inspiration from, from him and, and what he did. Um, yeah, it's hard not to. Yeah. And have you seen any of his uh, more recent shows that he's done? Well, yeah, I've watched Bill Nye Saves the World. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is always interesting. What do you think about uh, just the the state of science education, though, in the country and mm-hmm. in schools around here? I mean, what have you run into uh, professionally, and and that, and what void do you think this fills? So I'll I'll we'll zoom out and then we'll zoom back in again. I think, on the whole, I think our national conversation around science isn't very positive, and that we've we've kind of diminished science and scientists as not something that's very valuable in our society. And I think there's little pockets of, of positivity. Uh, you know, there's, you know, there's Bill Nye and there's some really great podcasts. Science Fridays, I think probably more popular than ever now, but as a whole, I don't think we've, we've valued that. And one of the things I think that is indicative of that is that we don't really teach science early on in our schools. So for example, in Ohio, Fifth grade is the first grade where science is tested. So for a lot of kids, that's the first time they get regular science every single day. Now, it's not to say they might not get science, you know, once a week or twice a week, but it's not every day and it's not for that long. So the problem with that is, one, by the time kids get to high school, they're behind on their content. And that can be very frustrating for, for high school teachers. And it's not the kid's fault if they don't know about food webs, you know, and they come into sophomore biology. Like, that's not, that's not on them. 
but they just didn't have the experience. And I think the other thing that we really miss here is that science, especially for kids, is so interesting and awesome. It's just so cool. Like you mentioned dinosaurs to a six-year-old and they are in. It doesn't matter yeah. what you're like, <laughs> you, you know, like it doesn't matter. You know, you go outside and like play, like looking at the trees and the birds, like kids get into that. So I think we just, we miss this huge opportunity to get kids really interested in learning and understanding that the world around us is worth studying and, and, and learning more about because we just don't put the focus on the science. We, we just kind of miss that. And it's, it's this, the wonder of, of the world when you're a kid is, is there. You know, you, it's, it, it is there when you are a young kid because there's so many possibilities and everything's new. But we, we kind of miss the boat on that. And I think that's a, that's a big problem because it's not just downstream effects where you're, you're, your kids don't know certain science concepts or they're behind and they, you know, it's, it's in the moment where we don't get, get kids hooked on learning. And I think that's a, I think that's a real, a real struggle right now. Yeah. And it's funny, you, you were talking earlier about, you know, making good content and, or, you know, what you have to put into it. And it's a fair point really that for, I don't know, for maybe other topics or other type of entertainment, you have to have a lot of special effects. And, you know, you think about it, like if you were trying to teach math on a TV show, <laughs> you've got to have an animated character. It has to be, you know, uh, somehow a lot of uh, sparkle or something to engage. But, you know, to your point, like, you know, my five-year-old can, will talk for hours about dinosaurs, you know, or oh, anything yeah. like that. And if there was more maybe if there's more focus on science in schools, that sort of naturally engaging thing. Right. You know, kids would want to be just at school in general more, you know, because, I mean, most schools, I mean, I, I don't know, I can't speak for all schools, but certainly, um, you know, the, the ones, a lot of the ones my kids have gone through, you know, there's a lot of music and, and stuff. And then, of course, equal division between all the other subjects, you know, writing, language, math, whatever. Science is one of one of eight classes maybe, right? Certainly not doesn't have the emphasis that say music does or sports for that matter. Right? And I don't and I don't don't definitely don't want to take away from music or sports because those definitely need to be integrated in in schools and early and often. Uh, but like to with your point with with math, you know, math is the language of science. And I think sometimes we think if we do science, if we take time to teach science early on, it's going to take away from other subjects. And I don't think you, that's true. You know, you don't need to rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, you can, you can integrate math with science, especially when it's young. You know, like, let's go count bugs. Let's see how many bugs are in our pollinator garden today. And we just count as many bugs as we can. And then we can, all right, let's count one type of bug and then we'll count the other types of bugs. And we'll see the difference and see if there's more of one type of bug than another type of bug. And that's science. Like that's what that's what ecologists with PhDs do. Now, granted, they do it at a much grander scale and they do it much more precisely, but it's the same thing. You can do that with a with a three-year-old. It doesn't have to be as complicated as as you know, building a robot or, you know, you know, doing some some big egg drop thing. Like you you can it can be it can be things that kids can get excited about. And you don't have, it doesn't have to be a giant production. And so do you think that, you know, are you excited about that opportunity, I guess, the fact that you've got all, you know, all these internet tools and technologies and social media and YouTube and stuff to, is that sort of your strategy to help expose kids to science more because they can get to it outside of school? Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, I, I, I think and it's local. It's in it's their neighborhood. It's local, and every kid has YouTube on their phone. It doesn't matter if you know what what neighborhood you come from or whatever. Like most kids have that, that have have YouTube on their have their phone. Not every kid, but most kids, and they'll watch that on the bus. They'll they'll watch it waiting, you know, waiting for their ride to pick them up. They'll watch it on the walk home from from school. So the idea that that some like a series like this can be everywhere. It's not, there's no there's no barrier to entry. It's not there's no password. There's no you know limited access. It's just it's there for everybody. That's what we really wanted to do. So uh you know a teacher can assign that like watch this video for homework, and kids will do that. Kids will kids will watch it. Watch a YouTube video. And what age group you're kind of targeting with that? We kind of shot for sixth to seventh, eighth grade, because um, you know that way most people have around a middle school of yeah. understanding of science, <laughs> and so pretty much anyone who's curious can 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 watch this. Not just not just kids. Is there sort of an interactivity component at all? When you you know do you take questions? Do you answer on a later show, or you, you know you monitor the comments on Facebook, or <laughs> how do you kind of? So do we've. That? We haven't done any like crowd crowdsourcing for 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 content yet, but we're always open to ideas. Uh, especially with this first season, we, you know, we didn't know what the response was going to be, so we kind of just took it as it went. But uh, but you know, if if someone has an idea or someone knows someone who's doing something really cool and they're really passionate about their work, we would love to talk to them. And also, I was curious. Um, we were talking about, you know, the state of education. And do you think is there a big divide when you look at, you know, uh, children in need and stuff and their access oh, to absolutely. this type of information versus other schools? I imagine, obviously, you know, an expensive private school or something, you know, has a lot more time to teach us and mm-hmm. resources. Um, are you kind of trying to promote it to, you know, kids in those situations uh, as well? You know, like I said, with with YouTube everyone has access to it so that's been that's i think is a really good thing i to to answer your first question one of the toughest things as a teacher it's a good thing and it's a bad thing is that you only have your kids while you're in the classroom and after they leave you don't have you don't have autonomy over them right like you you don't have influence so i think you know when we always have to be careful in like making assumptions on what a child's home life is cuz we sometimes we just don't know but yeah, there's absolutely a a, a riff. I th- I think one of the one of the toughest things is that, you know, kids from poverty tend to have a harder time coming to school ready. And again, it's not their fault, and it's really not their always their parents' fault. Sometimes it's just hard if you are working two jobs and are just to make ends meet. Like you don't always have time to check homework or or to or to go to the zoo or to to do the things that other kids get a chance to. And, you know, it's, it's not that I think what people have to always remember is that every parent, every parent, and this is this in my experience as a, as a teacher, there were very, very, very few instances where parents were like actively negligent. Almost every single parent wants the best for their kid. They just don't always have the way to do that. And it's, it's not always money and it's not always time. It's just it can be any number of factors. Um, so I think I try to always like keep that in mind. Like it's, it's, it's really not my place to judge how, like what this situation is, but like I have this kid in this desk and I'm going to, I'm going to teach the hell out of them today because <laughs> this is what I had them for. You know, like I had, I had those, when I taught freshmen, I had them for like 50 minutes and it was like 
bell to bell. Like, we are not taking any breaks. Like, I got you for 50 precious minutes a day, and I'm going to make you just love science so much from from the start of that first bell, that last bell. So, and is there, is there any particular, like, types of sciences you're kind of trying to uh, mainly look at uh, with the series? Like, I you know, think, is it, I mean, you mentioned the yeah. frogs, and, and so far it sounded like a lot of animals and biology and things like that. We uh, did, so the first two were more geared toward life science. The You know, our third episode with, with, with Brooke is, is more geared towards chemistry. Um, we've done some paleontology. Uh, we have another episode with that works with genetics. Uh, we have an engineering episode that's going to come out late, like kind of towards the end of the series. They is, uh, these guys have come up with a design that helps firefighters and other emergency workers get out of like four to five story buildings just by jumping. So it's like a, almost like a repelling system, but without the repel, like without the need for, um, you know, the, the, the carabiners and the clips and all that sort of stuff, which is really great because with all the gear that they've got, they don't have the range of motion to have any other gear. And that was really cool. That was a, a you know, a very physics forward episode that looked at a problem and said, this is a problem that we want to solve. Like we have, we, this is this is something that has a really, really apparent impact on 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 lives. And mm-hmm. That was really cool. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. Because I I was just thinking about like, uh, you know, I got my degree in computer science, and the research, the type of research that goes on in computer science departments, is very hard. I think to yes, inter- get kids interested in because <laughs> yes. it's often <laughs> it's, it's very sort of esoteric stuff. But yet that you know. But yet kids are really interested in technology, right? you know, and they want to, I mean, my son's fascinated with the iPhone and it's, you know, four fifths of every conversation is about the iPhone and its versions and how you update it. And, and, you know, but then if I start talking about, well, you know, the way that the, you know, Bluetooth works versus cellular, it's a little too, (laughs) (laughs) might be taking it too far. So, you know, how do you kind of, how do you get into those type of topics? You think? I think that's a really good question. You know, Putting technology in kids' hands doesn't doesn't solve the problem. I think one of the best things that happened, like at least in my generation, for for technology's sake, was in order to play a video game, you had to start with MS DOS. Hmm. Remember yeah. that? Like, no, like, but it gave you a pretty decent understanding of how your computer worked. And you might not have been able to code, but like you knew you knew the pathways to which to talk to your computer and get it to do something. And in this case, it was like I wanted to play. X-Wing <laughs> mm-hmm. and fly around and shoot down TIE fighters. So in order to do that, I had to learn how to get the computer to, to talk that way. And, and I think that was really good. I think sometimes when we put technology in the hands of our kids and they're just using the apps, I think that apps can be a really great tool for teaching concepts, but it doesn't teach computer science. So I think what you have to do is you have to show kids what you can do when you know how to, how to, how to talk to your computer. Because that's cool stuff. And the thing is, kids can do it like it's just like i mean especially at that age like a foreign language you just Mm -hmm. suck it up and you know once they know how to do that they're like okay now you can like let's let's find a problem to solve and i think that's always a really great thing to like look at like what's a what's a problem that we can solve with the with with some technology what do you think uh you know through this process of making the show what's what's been sort of the most rewarding piece of it for you i think a couple things one in talking to really great scientists has been a real treat. Um, they've welcomed us into their labs and their their field stations, and 
for a lot of times without ever <laughs> meeting us <laughs> beforehand. Um, so that's been that's been really great. And just really raising the awareness for their work. You know, I think sometimes, again, we, we think of scientists as these, you know, cloistered in labs full in full coats. And that, yeah, they have lab coats, but you know, they're they're people and they're doing really cool research and you don't you don't have to go far. You know, you don't have to go to to CERN in, in Europe to see brilliant scientists. There's brilliant scientists here. And I think getting people's raising people's awareness for for what's happening right here in our hometown is really cool. You know, who are some researchers in Cincinnati that, you know, are kind of on your list or, you know, that would kind of be your uh, that you'd like to interview in the future that you haven't been able to yet in in Cincinnati, or just or you know anywhere I guess really. Ooh, anywhere. Jan Eleven would be really cool to talk to. She she researches black holes, and she has a book called Black Hole Blues that's really, um, really good. And I think that would be I think it'd just be because it's such a weird aspect of our universe we really don't know that much about. I think it'd be I think it'd be fun to have like a beer with her. Like, like, <laughs> is, is she in town here? Or somewhere? No, oh, she's somewhere else. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> um, I've not heard of her. You know, I, I think a, in town, um, you know, I think Thane Manders did such a great job of communicating science for a really long time. Um, Dean Regis is also another really great science communicator. Um, we really like to do an episode with um, James Mack. He's a green chemist at UC and he's really really great um, and he's done a lot of really cool stuff with learning how to take solvents out of the equation for industrial chemistry and that could save uh, a, one a, companies a ton of money but it could save uh, huge huge uh, environmental problems down the road because it's like 50 60 percent of, of their waste of industrial waste is, is solvents and taking that out of that is is I think a really brilliant brilliant application of of chemistry. So those would be those would be some local local people who I'm, whom I'd really really like to talk to. Um, and yeah, Jan Eleven would be cool. Um, I imagine there's also yeah. I mean there's a lot of local industry that is doing a lot of research in science. I mean you look at yes. I mean you could do a pretty interesting show. Uh, say like on uh, you know flavor flavoring science or yeah. flavors. You know because there's so many. <laughs> You know, we have so many different right. major producers here in Cincinnati of flavors. Um, certainly, I mean, p and is doing all kinds of stuff yeah. around like uh, paper science and um, Kroger's doing stuff around food science. You know, that could be interesting. We didn't, even, we didn't even get a chance to talk to the aquarium this year <laughs> because, you, you know, and, and when, you know, when you're producing a show, you're going to do eight because that's what your budget says. Like you, you got to make cuts, right? So like, okay, how do we... How do we bring in big names and how do we also bring in people who might not have notoriety yet? You know, so you kind of kind of balance that. Um, I'd really like to do an episode on Danger Wheel. I think that would be really fun. I don't know if you've heard of that. No. So Danger Wheel, it's this uh, event in Pendleton they do in July. They cut off, they, they block off uh, 12th Street there and it's that big hill and their adults race tricycles down and they've got ramps and stuff and i think it'd be really cool to do an episode there on like potential energy converting into kinetic energy yeah, or what makes a faster tricycle or would, something or just yeah <laughs> i mean it's pretty obvious like people people 
people get people bite it like yeah <laughs> like you're wearing like helmets and pads like it is it's not it's it's not a sport for the faint of heart yeah so but i think that'd be i think that would be really i think it'd be a really fun thing to do. it reminds me of like uh i don't know if you've ever looked into like these people that get really into the science of the pinewood derby stuff for uh for cub scouts you <laughs> and, know oh yeah i mean and, and you know in my kids cub scout troop there were some of them that's like you know the engineering or design they get put into this block of wood, you know, to try to, yeah. to go faster and faster. Like who's 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 behind that? Is it is it the Cub Scout or the or or the parents? So I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully they're helping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but and I think that's like that, you know, I did Pinewood Derby when I was a kid. And like, part of that is understanding like why did why did that not work? Yeah, like that's that's a really important part of of not just engineering but science too. Like, this didn't work. We need to think. We need to rethink this. Um, and I think that was another message we, especially in the the episode we're going to share with uh, with the engineers. You know, things don't work. Like there's, they dropped four hundred pounds of sand and <laughs> in a stairwell at UC. Like, okay, I'm glad I wasn't on that system. But yeah. <laughs> you know, like we we gotta we gotta retool here. We got we got We gotta go back to the drawing board. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's all that testing process is is exactly. key to it. You know, and I think. Um, at least sometimes when kids are doing science projects, they got to have the patience for that too. It can be a challenge, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and building the, that that resilience in kids that it's not going to work the first time. It probably isn't going to work the second time either. But once uh, that the my favorite moment of teaching was that penultimate moment when when a group of of students were j- almost got it to work, where like they made that last that last test before they knew it would work, and they're like, okay. That's that didn't work, but I know what it is this time. I know it was wrong, and but any whether it was wrong or right, it didn't matter. But nothing else mattered, like time, going to mm-hmm. lunch, you know, none of the norm, like texting, like none of the normal things that kids in high school like are focused on that went out the window because they're like this problem. I'm gonna, I, I can solve this this next time because I know what the what the what the difference is, and that was such a awesome moment. Yeah. I miss that that moment. I miss. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, you know, some of the shows that you're watching can inspire kids to start doing, you know, looking into things themselves and maybe do some of that type of research themselves or, yeah. or just get more into it. Um, That's our hope. So if people want to check out the show, uh, what, what's the name of the YouTube channel? What's the easiest way to find it? Everything is Sci Around Cincy on social media. If you just do sciencearoundcincy.com, that'll, that'll, bring you, that'll bring you to our site. All our, web, all our episodes will be on there and on YouTube. And if you have any questions, you can just... Shoot us an email at sciaroundcincy at gmail. Okay. And if people want to reach out to you about maybe being on the show in the future or something like that, and email you as well. Yeah, yeah. Shoot me an email. And like I said, we're, we're at sciaroundcincy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that. So if, if you want to reach out that way, we're happy to happy to hear from you. Okay. And you said the next episode is out Thursday, I think yep. you said? Yep. Next episode is out Thursday, and then we'll, do, we'll share another one next week. Great. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show. It was great to learn about what you're doing for uh, science education for kids and, and uh, science around Sensi and featuring all the great researchers we have here and, and kind of using uh, new platforms to do that. So it's great to learn about what you're doing. Hey, Sam, pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Talk. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you did, be sure to support the show by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And learn more about this show by heading over to unstoppablesoftware.com. Until next time, keep innovating.